Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And in this episode, we're talking about delegation, one of our favorite topics. And we're going to show you how you can delegate even if you don't have a staff. So if you don't have a staff, don't be thinking to yourself, hey, that's great for you guys, but I'm stuck without a staff because we're going to be talking specifically to you. Yeah, you know, this can be really hard where you feel overwhelmed and kind of alone in your work because you have lots to do, but maybe you're a solopreneur, you're not in management, and you just find it so exhausting and frustrating and overwhelming because you want to get some stuff off your plate, but who do you give it to? That's right. And we're going to fix that today by showing you seven options for delegation, even if you don't have any direct reports. And we've got Larry with us today to lead us through this process. Larry Wilson, welcome to the show. Hey, Larry. Hey, guys. Thanks. Uh, You know, when we talk about delegation, I think there are really two problems that people face. One is the lack of resources, and we're going to talk about that today. But, you know, there's another problem in that a lot of people just don't really want to give up control of certain tasks or certain areas of their business. So what if I'm that guy who just won't let go of this task? What do you got for me? Yeah, I think there's a mindset about delegation that you have to overcome at the beginning. And I think I've said that before in this podcast, but there's typically some mindset issues that the people have to overcome on on delegation like, and these are the sentences that rattle in their head. Number one, if I want it done right, I've got to do it myself. Number two is it takes longer to explain how to do it. I might as well just do it myself. And three, I can't afford to pay somebody right now. I just have to do it myself. And, And the problem with that is, your business can't scale, you're going to be overwhelmed and frustrated if you can't figure out how to delegate, even if you don't have a staff. It's still possible, and that's what we're going to get into in this episode. Yeah, you just really bump up against the limitations of your own capacity. You know, yeah. you can only do so much, and if you're not willing to let go, then gosh, there's not not really you're anywhere else to go of, besides that. You're kind of stuck in that situation. Right. That's what we want to get you out of. Well, you really can delegate, even if you don't have staff. And we have seven options for delegation. And so let's get right to them. Option one is to triage your to-do list. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. What I mean by this is you got to go into your to-do list with a weed whacker or a set of pruning shears, and you've got to cut everything off of it that you possibly can. And The way I look at it is through what's called the Eisenhower Matrix. And Dr. Stephen Covey made this popular in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, but he actually didn't originate it. So the idea is that you're going to evaluate every task, whether it's urgent or important or it's both. So it's kind of like a two-by-two matrix. So some tasks are urgent and important. He calls those priority one tasks and those things that ought to be on your to-do list. Then there's those items which are important but not urgent. Those ought to be on your task list. These are the things that we keep procrastinating on, but are really important. You know, getting that that checkup or working on that important project that you know will move your business forward. Those are the priority two tasks. Priority three are those things that are urgent but not important. And those kinds of things, you know, sometimes we have to do, but the, the, the thing we've got to question is if they're not important, why are we doing them at all? You know, those are real candidates for crossing off your checklist and just forgetting about And then finally, there's the things that are not urgent and not important. And these are the fake work items that can take up an enormous amount of time if you're not careful. Those need to go too. So you've got to have an honest appraisal 
going through your task list with the intention of thinning it out, just like you might do if you were doing spring cleaning with your wardrobe closet or with your car. What stuff do you still need? What stuff can go? Now, you used a term here just a second ago. Let's define that for everybody. Fake work. What yeah. do you mean by that? Fake work is, for me, that quadrant four or priority four kind of work that's neither urgent nor important, but it keeps us busy. And I think that that it's easy for us to drift into that kind of work because it's what other uh, writers have called downhill work, you know, as opposed to uphill work. It doesn't take any initiative or doesn't take any effort. You know, it's just, it just kind of keeps you busy. It gives you sort of a faux productivity. You feel like you're being productive because you're checking stuff off a list. But at the end of the day, you go, you know what? That really wasn't the highest and best use of me. And it didn't really accomplish anything organizationally. So option one, triage your to-do list. And we talk about this as a delegation strategy. You're really delegating to the trash can here, right? (laughs) Yeah, I I love that. (laughs) Take that. That's the easiest kind of delegation. (laughs) Option two is to use technology more efficiently. And a lot of listeners, Michael, uh, look to you for tech solutions. So I know you've probably got some good tips here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Technology can really help us be more productive, but does it require a personal attention to things? So for example, with email, um, I use a product called SaneBox. You can find out more at SaneBox.com. But what it does is it it basically uses, and this is kind of the the techie explanation, but it's not this techie to use, is that it's going to use the power of rules to sort your email inbox. So for example, you could tell it things that come in that are email newsletters that are not urgent. You could have those go to a specific folder that you would only review when you had time to do some kind of some, you know, enjoyment kind of reading. And so the nice thing about it is in the old days of email, you used to have to set this up as a rule and you had to understand the syntax of creating the rule and all that stuff that is making people's eyes glaze over even as I'm saying it. But now all you have <laughs> to do to is me. take that email <laughs> newsletter from whatever your favorite uh, organization or, or blog is and drag it into the folder and SaneBox remembers from that point forward that that email from that particular person always goes to that folder. Yeah. This is pretty cool. You're really just training it. Yeah, you're really just training it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's a that's a simple solution. We use Spark email, which I also use in conjunction with SaneBox. But the nice thing about that is you can save yourself a lot of effort and a lot of back and forth with your teammates or coworkers by having everybody use Spark and you can have conversations around an email message so that you don't have so much email back and forth, which ends up cluttering up your your to, your email inbox and it just ends up becoming a giant uh, to-do list. So there's a lot of other things that that are related to Spark that, that make it uh, very easy. I, I manage my calendar electronically for the same reason. You know, it's, it takes a lot of work out of the process. Uh, when something changes, I don't have to go erase it in a paper calendar. And we have a calendar in the Full Focus Planner, and a lot of people use that as their own calendaring solution. I think if you work with a team, though, you're probably going to have to do what we do, which is to use a hybrid solution. I write down my appointments for another reason, but it's not where I'm managing appointments. It's I use it as a way to get an overview of the quarter at the first of the quarter, but I don't use it as a management uh, solution going on. Megan, we recently here at Michael Hyatt and Company went through a sort of a restructure of the way we use technology. Mm-hmm. And one of the things uh, we did was to sort of review all of our templates. How are these an aid 
to delegation templates? Yeah, well, uh, one of the things that can really slow you down when you're trying to delegate or, or enlist the help of others is articulating your vision. It can, it can be really laborious. It can be ambiguous, and then you don't get a good result when you're trying to enroll other people. And so our templates help people to articulate the vision for what they'd like to delegate. And the best part is, is that it, it really automates it. So in all these templates that we have, whether it's a meeting agenda or something we have that's called the Project Vision Caster, which is that that tool for articulating, you know, vision for a new project or a recommendation briefing form, which is basically a proposal format that you might use to get your direct supervisor to say yes to something you want. Um, it's just kind of paint by numbers. And so templates are a way of not having to think of all the things that you need to include in a, a document you're producing on a regular basis every single time you do it. So you just fill in the blank. Yeah. And I would say probably the biggest single productivity hack that bought me back more time than anything else I've ever done in the last 30 years was creating a library of email templates so that I cataloged almost uh, all the common requests that I would get. It was about 40 of those. And then every time I got one of them, I said, okay, am I going to have to respond to this in the future, the similar request? And if I did, then I took a few extra minutes and wrote something that I knew I could reuse again and again and again. And I saved those as email signatures. You could put them in a Word file. You could do a number of things with it. Text expander for people that are familiar with that. You could create a snippet. But an email signature will do just fine. And so then when I get the request after I've written the template, instead of having to compose the entire thing, like reinventing the wheel at the beginning of a project, all I do is pull down the signature that reflects or has the boilerplate text for that response and it takes me from, you know, 10 to 20 minutes to answer an email to literally probably 30 seconds. You know, I, I can pull the template, personalize it a little bit and send it on its way. And I can blow through a ton of email that way very quickly. So option two for delegating without a staff is to use technology more efficiently. And in this case, you're kind of delegating to your computer. Yeah. So you're, you're on all the time. Why don't you do some work while you're at it? That's right. It's never <laughs> okay. been a better time. Uh, let's talk about option three, which is to negotiate out of previous assignments. Yeah, this is a, a great one and probably counterintuitive for a lot of us because it's so important um, when you've given your word to follow through on that. However, there are often opportunities where you can negotiate out of a commitment that you've given if you consider the interest of the person you know that you've given your word to. So here's how you do that. So you would state, for example, um, to your boss or to a coworker that you're willing to fulfill the assignment that you signed up for, but you're going to state why you think it might be best for them if you don't. Maybe they're more qualified or you know somebody who's more qualified within your organization to do it. Uh, maybe somebody else could do it faster than you could because of your, you know, the backlog of things you're working through. But you want to ask your boss to prioritize your projects, you know, so if, if he or she has given you a list of five or 10 things that they want accomplished and you're trying to negotiate out of them, they may come to their own conclusion that, for example, number seven or number eight um, could easily be handed to someone else and accomplished more quickly than, you know, if they just left it to you to get to when you had time. But you can offer alternative solutions. You know, you could suggest someone else that could do it better than you. Uh, again, you're kind of, you're in the posture of selling when you're doing this. You want to propose your solutions with their interest in mind. So what do they care about? Do they care about it being done faster or cheaper or better, you know, and, and how can you position it that way? And then offer to help uh, recruit a replacement for yourself. So don't just kind of leave it to them to solve. That's 
not really usually in their best interests, but offer to go have a conversation with the person and try to enroll someone who uh, might be a better solution than you are to, to fulfill that commitment. This can actually go really well. Usually people don't care if you negotiate out of something as long as, it, as they don't feel that they're losing out. So if you can make it seem either like a comparable uh, swap or a gain for them, then uh, usually it will be perceived as positively. You can't just dump it back in their lap. You no. can't just dump it back in their lap. That does not usually go well. There, there was a book written years ago. I think it was a Spencer Johnson book, maybe Ken Blanchard too, about, you know, you try to get the monkey off your back and you put it on somebody else's back. So what people don't appreciate, what bosses don't appreciate is when they, uh, one of their people takes the monkey off their back and tries to put it on their back. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think you've, you've got to be part of, you know, helping find someone else to, to bear the monkey. And uh, this does, this can go very well. And I think it's easy to shut this down before you try. Yeah. But it doesn't hurt to try. Yeah. And again, your posture is going to be, I'm willing to fulfill the commitment because I made the commitment, but I really don't think it's in the best interest of you or the organization for me to do that. Here's why. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to leave you in the lurch. You know, I'm going to help you find a better solution than just me. And then you're out of it. By the way, when you go try to recruit someone else to fulfill this, you know, commitment that you've made, um, it's easy to, to think that you're imposing on them. And certainly sometimes that's true, but there are a lot of times when it would be advantageous for them to take on the commitment. Maybe it's an opportunity for them to shine where they wouldn't otherwise have the chance. Um, and that can be really worthwhile to them and something they would even be excited about. So don't say no for other people because you might be giving them a great chance. So option three is to negotiate out of previous assignments. This is, in a sense, it's delegating back to your boss or to the person who made the request, but it's, I guess, really delegating through them. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to come back to you in hopes that we can find someone else who can take this assignment. That's right. Let's go to option four, which is to ask for some volunteer help. Does, <laughs> does that really work in a business context? It does. And I think for the reason that Megan just articulated, most of us don't like to ask for help, but most people are willing to give it. And I've experienced that time and time again. In fact, we did an entire episode on this back in February, Need Help, Here's How to Ask For It. That was the title of the episode. We'll put a link in the show notes. But people love to make a contribution. Uh, think of all the things we've signed up for. All you have to do is mm-hmm. look at your list, all the things you signed up for that you weren't getting paid for, you know, that you agreed to do maybe in a church context or a community service project or with friends or whatever. Now, why do we do that? You know, we do it for our own reasons. You know, Megan said, maybe it's an opportunity for somebody to grow, for someone to shine, for someone to exercise something they don't get to do uh, very often. So, this can be a, a, a great resource for us is to think, is there somebody else that is really good at this that, um, that, would look, that, that would enjoy the opportunity to do this kind of work? For example, recently um, at Michael Hyde and Company, we had a consultant in who was helping us, advising us on some operational changes to our customer experience. And I asked uh, John Meese, who's the dean of Platform University and the director of that brand, if he would sit in on that meeting and, you know, kind of just 
act as a volunteer advisor or consultant with us in the in the context of that meeting, it's not in his job description. He's not going to get paid anymore because he volunteered to join us. But he said to me later, you know, it was super rewarding for him to have the opportunity to be in that conversation and to contribute his ideas just because it kind of like gave him an outlet that he wouldn't normally have in the in the context of his work with Platform University and really enjoyed it. And so I think it's it's easy to be dismissive of the value of that, but but people really want those opportunities very often. So we've identified four options so far. Triage your to-do list, use technology more efficiently, negotiate out of previous assignments, and ask for some volunteer help. Let's go to option number five, which is to use variable cost alternatives. I love this one. So if you can't afford to have, for example, a full-time executive assistant or hire another full-time staff member, like maybe that's your dream and it feels like it's that or nothing, um, you've never lived in a better time for there to be a host of options that are kind of between nothing and a full-time employee. Um, so we t- have talked about this so many times, but I really think it bears repeating. You you don't have to hire those people full-time right. to get the help you need. In fact, there are all kinds of um, on-demand services, whether it's getting your groceries or hiring somebody to run an errand for you or, um, you know, processing your expense reports, those kinds of things can be done on demand where you pay either um, a flat one-time fee or an hourly fee, but it's not an ongoing commitment. Um, For example, there's a service called Magic that is an on-demand virtual assistant solution um, that uh, some people we know really enjoy. And then, of course, our favorite part-time, kind of a, a bigger commitment solution would be Belay, uh, who provides uh, virtual executive assistants that are dedicated to you on a minimum of 10 hours a week basis. What about like uh, Fancy Hands? Yeah, so so Magic is like Fancy Hands. Apparently, Magic is better, according to the people we've talked oh, okay. to lately. Um, they have a, an employee team of assistants rather than a bunch of contractors. So apparently, the results are great. But somebody was telling me recently um, that they registered their kids for school. They planned a birthday party for somebody in their family. They made travel arrangements. Um, and I, I want to say it's like $35 an hour if it's like a personal exercise that they're doing or 65 for business. But I don't really, that, really think that corresponds to like an individual person's one hour. So my guess is you get a lot more time for that. But the point is, you know, you could just pay $35 and have somebody, you know, plan an event for you or book your travel. And that's kind of a no brainer. Well, the thing about it is I think you, you got to forget about the time. Right. In other words, you got to you got to think to yourself, what would it cost me to do that? Right. And could I get it done cheaper? Right. And oftentimes, and I, I learned this from Brian Miles at Belay, is that somebody who's an administrative assistant or an executive assistant who's really good, they can get more done in an hour yes. than you could probably do in four or five hours. So that's why you got to think of it not uh, in terms of what it costs per hour. But what is it going to save me if I don't have to do that? Right. Well, and we've said this so many times, but every time we've hired team members, and and I would say that even includes contractors or kind of, you know, in this kind of gig economy idea, you know, one-off solutions, our income goes up because our ability to use our hours for the, you know, if you think about it in terms of billable hours for the most valuable uh, work, it's just, it's a no-brainer. Totally. So option five, use variable cost alternatives. And as you just mentioned, Megan, this is like delegating 
to the cloud. Right. I the mean, there economy. are so many solutions. It's exciting. Even grocery delivery. Oh, my gosh. You know, we're using that all the time now. Right. You know, Instacart why? is the one that we use. I don't know if that's available everywhere, but there are about four or five that are like that. Food delivery. I mean, you think how much time the average person consumes on grocery shopping? Right. And to be able to delegate that? It's probably a couple hours a week. Yeah. Uh, handyman services. I mean, there, there is like an app for every kind of service provider you can think of. People are actually doing this in a lot of areas of their life, uh, but maybe slow to adopt it in their business. Right. Right. It's a mindset issue. Well, option six is to appeal for more resources. Yeah, sometimes you just need more resources. I mean, you need more people, you need more money, whatever it is, in order to be uh, to, to deliver on what you've promised to do in your business. So one of the things that's helpful to do is learn the skill of getting your boss to say yes. And this is sales 101. <laughs> so most people don't think of this as sales, but if you're going to get anything out of your boss, and I got very good at this, you know, honestly, this is one of the reasons why I think I was so successful in my corporate career is that I was able to get my boss to say yes. But here's how I did it. I'm I never... taking notes right now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you can use this on me. I, I never tried to get my boss to say yes to me. I tried to find out what my boss wanted and get him to say yes to himself hmm. or herself. So that's the thing you got to think of. You got to think, okay, how is this? And this is how you do sales. Why is this in my prospect's best interest? Why is this in my boss's best interest? How is this going to help him or her achieve their goals? If you can do that, you can secure their resources. And we've done, did we do a series of podcasts on this? I think we have a series of blog posts that are out there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely do. Okay, we'll link to that in the show notes, how to get your boss to say yes. But again, it's about helping your boss reach their goals. And that's how you've got to pitch it. That's where you've got to start. You've got to get them to, you know, affirm that this is their goal. Then you say, well, hey, I've got another way to accomplish this, and here's what it's going to take. And you can think of it in terms of the speed with which the goal is going to be accomplished. You know, in other words, if I have additional resources, we can get it done faster. Or if I have additional resources, it may sound like we're going to spend more money, but it's going to actually save us money, mm -hmm. and you got to be able to demonstrate that. So these are kind of the sales techniques for getting your boss to, to yes when you need additional resources. Well, and speaking as someone who is a boss who is constantly being pitched by my team on things that they want me to say yes to, um, the difference between uh, – and they're all honestly really good at it at this point. This is a, a big area of focus for me. But when they come to me and they pitch me something that's in my best interest that supports the goals that they know I already have, first of all, it makes it way easier to say yes. But one thing you may not know is that if you're a boss, you really want to say yes. It's exhausting to try to figure out if it's the right decision and yeah. you know all that kind of stuff. But if you can make the line of sight clear between what you're asking for and why it supports the things that they're already pursuing, um, not only are you going to make it easier to get a yes, but you're, you're going to make it enjoyable for them. Um, and you know, that's an amazing skill to have. So option six, appeal for more resources. And you've heard it from a couple of bosses here. It actually works. It totally works. And this is kind of like delegating to the new guy that, right. <laughs> that hasn't been hired yet. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Perfect. 
Okay, that brings us to our seventh and last option for delegating when you don't have staff, and this one may be the hardest, muster the courage to say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have an entire chapter in my new book, Free to Focus, about this. It's under the chapter called Elimination, and the best way to eliminate anything from your to-do list is never let it get on your to-do list to begin with. And that means you have to learn to exercise your no muscle. And for most of us, that's difficult because most people I know that are in business that are successful in part got there because they're just so likable. And the reason they're likable, or at least the reason they think they're likable is because they say yes a lot. You know, they try to please other people. And I myself am a recovering people pleaser. But one of the ways that I talk about in the book about how to say no is this principle I learned from uh, Dr. William Urry, The Power of a Positive No, where you follow this framework of yes, no, yes. Okay, so this makes it easy, even for people that hate to say no, to learn to say no and to do it with grace. So it begins by affirming the request. So you're not trying to shame the request, the person making the request. You're not trying to ignore the request and let the request languish in your inbox, because that is a good way to tick people off. You know, if you don't like to say no because you don't want to tick people off, this will tick them off. So you're going to say yes, and you're going to affirm the request. Then you're going to give an unambiguous no. And I'm going to show you an example of how you would do this here in just a minute. But you don't want to kind of beat around the bush or say, hey, check back with me in a couple of weeks, because that's just like a boomerang situation where you're going to boomerang the, the task right back to yourself in a couple of weeks. And then you want to conclude with a yes. So you want to affirm them again and send them off feeling good about the interaction, even though you had to say no. So yes, no, yes. Here's an example. So because I spent the majority of my career in the book publishing business, I used to get and continue to get requests from people who want me to review their book proposal. Well, I don't have time to review book proposals ever. I mean, anymore, I just don't have time. Um, I, I, I would like to, you know, in a perfect world, I, I would be able to do that. But here's what I say in an email template when I get that kind of request. I say, first of all, here's the yes part of it, one short paragraph. I say, well, first of all, congratulations on completing a book proposal. Very few aspiring authors ever get that far, and it's one of the most important foundational elements of writing a book. So good on you. Second paragraph, this is where I'm going to say no. And here I use very specific language. Unfortunately, in order to be faithful to my other commitments... I have to say no. So I've given him a context. It's not just because I'm being a jerk. It's not just because I I think I'm more important than to do that kind of work. No, I'm trying to be faithful, and this is really true, to the other commitments I already have. And I've already got more on my plate than I really probably should have. And I can't accept a yes from somebody else or a project from somebody else without compromising my existing commitments. So that's the no part of it. Then I want to conclude with something that's a yes. And so I might say, you know, all the best for your continued progress on on your book. And in my case, I can refer them to some resources uh, on publishing. But I could at least say something like, you know, I, I, I look forward to hearing about your publishing success. I might even pick up a copy when it comes out, whatever. So that's that's something that they can feel good about. I can feel good about. And I've had so many people write me back and say, hey, I totally get it. Thank you so much for getting back to me so quickly. So two other ideas, if you're having to say no to your boss, you know, because that that can be difficult um, sometimes if, if something is coming your way, but you really just have a, a full plate. 
One of the things that we do at Michael Hyde and Company is we use the Scrum methodology for project management. And that uh, has an aspect to it where you're basically completing projects in a defined period of time called a sprint. So you might have a one-week sprint or a two-week sprint, and you've defined the scope of work that you're going to be working on during that time. You know, So you may, may have 10 or 15 projects that you're working on in that time. Um, you can do this company-wide and align a whole team around it, but you can also do this as an individual. And so then what happens is, is that when requests come in during your sprint time, you would put them on what's called a backlog for consideration for the planning of the next sprint. So you could, you know, do this a little more informally and maybe, um, you know, have it on a weekly basis. But if your boss asks you to do something and you have a full plate already, you know, you can kind of develop a language around, you know, I'd absolutely love to get to that. My plate's full right now, but I can put it on my backlog to be done in the next sprint, um, you know, or you you know, whatever language feels good. What that communicates is it's still important to me. I'm not just saying no, I'm just saying yes, but later. Um, and it kind of gives you a way to contextualize that you already have a full plate. The other thing you can do is say, here's a list of my priorities that you've already given me. You know, here are the projects that you've given me that I'm working on and I have a full plate. Um, I'm happy to do this, but how would you like me to rearrange these priorities? Because it's not possible to do them all right now. So the seventh and final option is muster the courage to say no. And this is kind of delegation back to the person making the request. Mm -hmm. It is. That uh, it's not up to me to find a solution. It's up to you. Mm -hmm. It's the Teflon solution. It just doesn't stick to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, today we've learned that you really can't delegate even if you don't have a staff. It's really more about mindset. There are solutions to getting the work off of your desk and yet still getting it accomplished and seven options that we've identified today. Number one, triage your to-do list. Two, use technology more efficiently. Three, negotiate out of previous assignments. Four, ask for volunteer help. Five, use variable cost alternatives. Six, appeal for more resources. And seven, muster the courage to say no. Guys, any final thoughts for our listeners today? I think even if you don't have a staff or not as much staff as you would like, there are so many options for, like you said, getting the work off your plate. The key is thinking out of the box. You know, if you if you kind of get into that black and white thinking of I either have nobody to delegate to or I need a whole staff, um, that's going to set you up for failure. But there are really a lot of options. And if you only took away two of the things we talked about today, you'd probably feel far more resourced than you were at the beginning of the show. This really is a mindset. And I think so often in life, we shut ourselves down before we give ourselves an honest chance to consider the possibilities. And so before you say, I don't have anybody else to delegate to, ask yourself if you could apply something here, uh, because it'll, it'll get you from being overwhelmed to a sense of momentum and more control over your life. Well, great stuff, guys. Very practical advice here. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you Larry. And thank you guys for joining us for Lead to Win. Join us next time and we're going to tell you three questions every leader must ask to avoid the deadly drift. Until then, Lead to Win. <laughs>